Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Here we are at midweek. Thank you for joining us. Big news yesterday, as expected, the president making the announcement about starting the process to go to year-round E15 sales. Just what does that mean? What's the impact? And what about this process that will have to uh, take place? How long might that last? There'll be a lot of challenges to it, of course. We'll talk about that on the program today with University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin, Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, also will be joining us a little bit later on. We're also going to talk about the importance of... um, Fall field testing. Now, we know right now for many the challenge is getting the crops out, but once you get those out, some things you can do now to be preparing for next year. We're going to be talking about that with uh, with a pathologist uh, from the University of Missouri. Uh, that's coming up a little bit later on in the program. But first, let's start things off with Chris Clayton with DTN. And Chris, let's get right to that announcement yesterday. And uh, uh, of course, the announcement in Washington, then the big rally in uh, Council Bluffs. Um, your thoughts on on how that all played out and the reaction to it? Uh, good morning, Mike. Um, well, it's basically been some, an announcement verbally from the president. Um, you know, and there hasn't been anything in writing as of yet. Um, we haven't seen any kind of order from the president to EPA, and EPA has not drafted anything. So it's a verbal commitment from the president to do this. But nothing really gets moving until you actually have a full rulemaking process to uh, to begin the kicking and the screaming from the petroleum industry. So, which is going to happen, of course. And you know, and I tweeted about this yesterday. I, I mean, to me, this announcement's long overdue, and I'm happy that it's taken place. But we have to not get too far ahead of ourselves here because it's not like the ban, the summer ban's been lifted immediately. It's going to be a while. We we really don't know how long this will take, do we? No, you don't. Uh, you really hope that it can be done, obviously, by next summer. That's uh, the, uh, really the goal. Can they get a rulemaking process done before, um, before the end of May um, and then not be blocked? Uh, for some reason by the courts. Um, so that's kind of where we're at on that. And, you know, I haven't been able to get any engagement from the EPA on when they will announce a rule. I've been told by industry people it will come sometime within days or weeks. Uh, we'll just kind of have to see uh, if EPA is going to uh, quickly follow suit on that. So. And meanwhile, as you said, I think we can expect uh... – a lot of legal challenges to it as well. Yeah, you'll see some from environmental community groups uh, who, for some reason, um, dislike ethanol but love petroleum. Uh, never figured that out exactly, but uh, you'll see some from that side, and you'll see some from the petroleum marketers who uh, are more concerned about you know losing some summer market share again and uh, losing long-term market share if E15, you know, catches on and uh, is embraced more by consumers. I was not surprised, but uh, kind of amazed, I guess, at how quickly some of the old, inaccurate arguments about ethanol came right out immediately as soon as this announcement was made. Uh, 
some even tried to go back to the old uh, food versus fuel argument, which is ridiculous. Uh, there was so much misinformation out there about that it was going to be some kind of a mandate, E15 forced on people. I mean, there was there were all sorts of inaccurate stories out there immediately, and this is what ethanol has fought for years. Yeah, I really like the arguments that people raise about uh, lawnmowers. Um, it's like they seem to think that nobody in Iowa actually runs a lawnmower, but we, we figured out a long time ago that, you know, what fuel goes into what vehicle, uh, but they seem to, this seems to come up constantly that, you know, this peep would confuse people about uh, putting um, what what fuel to put into what vehicle, and uh, I do think that probably confuses voters because a lot of times there's probably alcohol involved uh, that they're consuming instead of putting in the vehicle, and uh, and that gets confusing, but... Generally, most of us understand, you know, that uh, there's a certain kind of fuel that needs to go in uh, your smaller engines, et cetera. So, uh, that was and one of the, the arguments I saw on Twitter yesterday. Yeah. yeah, and while this announcement is certainly good news for the for agriculture, for the biofuels industry, I think for rural America, for the country, really, when you look at the bigger picture, but still, uh, there's no doubt that because, as we said, this is going to be a long process. Uh, a lot of this uh, yesterday was for political reasons, right? I mean, uh, the, the timing of it can't be overlooked. No, uh, you know, the president has tried to do a couple of things lately with not only the E-15 announcement, but the trade aid to kind of ease some of the concerns in rural America there are some fears that you might see a couple of house races uh, um, in these rural states flip from uh, Republican to Democrat, and that's really what a lot of this is about uh, from his concern is uh, trying to protect the House, protect uh, the Senate, and protect uh, some of these governorships uh, in the Midwest. Probably the governor's race in Iowa might be one of the tighter ones uh, right now. And and that's what a lot of this is about, is uh, bringing the president in to uh, not only bash the Democrats, but uh, promote, uh, you know, E-15. So we'll see how all this plays out. We'll talk more about it with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, a little bit later on. Before we let you go, Chris, uh, your thoughts on where we're at with the Farm Bill. I know you've been watching this pretty closely. Uh, What do you see there? Uh, there's an interesting battle going on that, you know, I think kind of went under the radar for quite a while, but now it's really come to the surface about uh, base acres and switching uh, and allowing some shift that would really benefit cotton producers, particularly in uh, Senator Congressman Mike Conway's state, Texas, at the expense of uh, losing some base acreage in other states. And um, and this has kind of boiled up. It's been pitched as a partisan fight between Debbie Stabenow and Conaway, but uh, Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa, Republican, laid into uh, Conaway about this exact same issue uh, last week. And you know, you're talking a lot of money involved that would uh, cut off some uh, base acreage payments for uh, farmers in other states as well. So. Um, this stuff always kind of be- reflects a regional battle, 
that uh, that you see when it comes to commodity programs, and it shows that it's not just SNAP right now that they're arguing over. You've still you've got some issues uh, uh, out there, and this is one that's pulled up um, that um, could uh, hang things up for after the election as well. So yeah. we'll have it's to see how it plays while. out. Yep, it's going to go on for a while. Always good to talk with you, DTN Ag Policy Editor Chris Clayton. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, and have a good uh, rest of the week. You too. Take care. All right, coming up next, University of Illinois Ag Economist Scott Irwin. Now, he's one that thinks that even if the E15 year-round sales uh, goes into effect, that ban gets lifted, he questions just how much of an impact that will have for ethanol. We'll talk about that and more when we talk with Scott Irwin from the University of Illinois next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. We all want more time with our dads, brothers, partners, friends, and our sons. Time for more conversations, more catch-ups, more of what life's all about. Now is our time to make it happen. Together, we can stop men dying too young by tackling the big issues. Prostate cancer, testicular cancer, mental health, suicide. It's time to act. Sign up at Movember.com and raise funds to help change the face of men's health. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons Now. 
To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, so we're talking about the big announcement by the president to start the process to uh, change the rule that would allow then E15 to be sold during the summer months, so year-round. Some are saying this is a win for consumers, a win for our environment, and a much-needed win for for corn farmers. Uh, But others are questioning the impact the potential impact that this could actually have on the ethanol industry. In that camp, we have Scott Irwin, University of Illinois Ag Economist. Scott, thanks for joining us. Uh, Why do you feel this is maybe not as big of an announcement or a move as some think it will be? Well, first off, in the short run, certainly over the next several years, I think it's relatively easy to forecast little, if any, impact simply due to the variety of uh, hurdles that are lined up against E15. The first is simply the EPA rulemaking process, which we know takes some time. There's obviously some kind of proposal uh, inside EPA, I'm sure, that's been developed based on the president's announcement. Uh, but there's a that'll have to be rolled out as a preliminary rulemaking. Then there'll be a comment period. Then there'll be a final rulemaking. I'm sure that there's probably they want to get that done before next summer's driving season when this could happen. Uh, but so we'll have to go through that entire rulemaking process. Once that's completed, it's very clear with 100% certainty that it's going to be um, intensely litigated by the refining industry as soon as that final rulemaking lands. And, you know, so that in and of itself means that, um, you know, there was not going to be any uncertainty truly removed about. Um, legally about where this process ends up probably for another at least a couple years and so i think that in and of itself is a going to be a major impediment to making investments uh, to expand e15 and so that's that's the short run what about the other part of the announcement when it comes to the handling of RINs? uh you know i i don't think that that's very significant uh, because and we don't have very good data yet, so anything that increases the transparency and data that's available for monitoring uh, a market like the RINs market is good, uh, which is what you'll have to do. You'll have to have better data to enforce these um, new rules. So I, I think that part's good, but the vast majority of trading is done by the obligated parties already. Uh, so this this issue, to me, of there's some kind of manipulation or you know charges of some kind of evil speculators, you know, pushing RIN prices around artificially, um, is really a red herring. I just I don't think that that is you know day in and day out a a big issue in that market. 
We're talking with University of Illinois Ag Economist Scott Irwin. Scott, um, if when this E15 is finally settled and it's allowed to be sold year-round, uh, I would think it's the hope of the biofuels industry that uh, E15 becomes what E10 is now, where you have uh, 15% ethanol in, in all the gas, or almost all of it. Uh, and that's probably the fear of the of the oil industry and and the others who oppose it. Um, do you see that happening at some point? I mean, I, it was such a huge move when we finally got E10 established. Do you think the day is coming? And if so, how far down the road that E15 becomes uh, that standard rather than E10 in our fuel supply? Well, I think that there's there's two reasons why I'm skeptical about the long run future of E15, uh, as well as the short run. Uh, One is the basic economics of E15. Um, You know, under our current mandates, which go up to 15 billion gallons for conventional ethanol, you know, that doesn't, you know, E10 chews up all but a few hundred million gallons of that 15 billion gallons. So there's there's very limited mandate pressure to increase uh, all the way up to another five percent of ethanol in our gasoline supply. There's there could be a little bit uh, between what we consume in E10 and the 15 billion gallons, but it's it's not a very large uh, incentive. I know the idea in the ethanol industry: if you just prime the pump, this whole thing will get going, uh, uh, but you know, you really have to have, I think, some kind of change in the mandates that push the mandate above 15 billion gallons, uh, given current levels of gasoline consumption to really push E15. And that then leads to my second reason why I'm skeptical is uh, – I think the attitude of the refining industry is don't get fooled again. They are going to fight this with every dollar they have, I think. And I think that's different than what happened in 2007. I think they probably feel like they got snookered and not going to happen again. So I think that, you know that's the second difficulty. And the third is we have the reset coming up in uh, for 2023 in our um, RFS mandates, and nobody knows what direction that's going to go. But, you know, again, the refiners are making it absolutely clear that they're going to use all their political muscle not just to um, prevent further expansion of E15. They want to kill the whole RFS. So uh, it's a very tough political environment, I think, to see substantial um that big of an increase in market share again for for ethanol that's the way i see it right and, and to be clear and it's kind of it's been misreported by some uh to be clear if this goes through what we're talking about here now it just it it opens up the option for e15 sales in the summertime it's not a mandate right now to go to e15 but i i have to believe that uh that's part of the part of the uh, opposition by the oil industry they see this as another step towards that uh, mandate to e15 Ab- absolutely they they and, and i'm sure that the corn ethanol industry that that's that's will be the next 
step when they perceive the opportunity to go in that direction. So, I, you know, maybe there's an opportunity for that, but I think it would take 2007-style uh, conditions to build political support again for that kind of move. Uh, in other words, maybe we need $150 crude oil prices again, and maybe the political environment would be more favorable for for that kind of increase uh, in the mandate again. Um, or the the alternative is that maybe we have to have E15 just to to meet uh, a 15 billion gallon mandate in the future if we have some substantial declines in gasoline usage in the U.S. And that, that's not an unreasonable uh, way to look at things as you look at 2025 and 2030. Uh, the current uh, official EIA forecast for gasoline consumption show a very sharp decline as we go through the 2020s. And the only way to, it looks like, the only way to keep even our current level of ethanol use would be to expand the blend rate, and maybe that's what's driving the corn ethanol industry. So we wait and see what EPA does with RFS, uh, the RVO levels under the RFS. Uh, There's a case to be made for biodiesel here. Really, they seem to get the short end a lot of times on the RFS. You know, it's amazing how so much of the energy and focus is on corn ethanol. Um, you know, and my uh, recent analysis suggests that there's, a, you know, despite all of the angst over the small refinery exemptions, that corn ethanol usage is, domestically is holding up uh, just fine. Uh, and so that that's a, a real positive uh, when we need positives here in the uh, in the corn market. Um, so my analysis suggests that the SREs have not really damaged the physical use or demand for ethanol. Uh, But it's very clear in my at least preliminary analysis that I've done that biodiesel is, in fact, a major injured party due to the SREs. It appears to me that um, we're using at least 10% less uh, biodiesel in the United States due to the SREs than we would have without the SREs. And, you right. know, and those, that's, that's and those SREs hit. being the, the small refiner right. exemptions right. that we have talked so much about. Scott, we're out of time. Thanks a lot. We'll talk again on this. Thank you. My pleasure. Take care. University of Illinois Ag Economist Scott Irwin. All right. More perspective on the E15 announcement coming up next. The CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, Brian Jennings, joins us. Stay with us on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, 
manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. A mostly defensive tone to the grain and oil seed sector on this Wednesday trading session. The grains trading lower as analysts and traders await Thursday's supply demand numbers from USDA. That report receiving a lot of attention. Hurricane Michael making landfall in the headlines as well. A slower than expected harvest pace in the Midwest also in the market headlines on this Wednesday. Soybean futures trading 8 to 9 cents lower, fraction lower in corn. USDA's next WASDE report comes out 11 central time on Thursday. For corn, analysts don't expect too much change in production, but they do, according to the average trade guess, anticipate a 158 million bushel increase in USDA's estimate of U.S. ending stocks. Thursday's report probably won't have any bullish news for wheat, according to the wire talk. Analysts at big banker J.P. Morgan saying in a market note that President Trump's endorsement for higher ethanol blends to be sold year-round won't budge corn prices much. According to J.P. Morgan, the likely impact on ethanol and corn demand in the foreseeable future is immaterial. December corn seeing key resistance at 369, support at 363. November soybeans resistance 870 and three quarters, support 851 and a half. The corn harvest pushing forward in the nation, 34% of the crop harvested across the country as of Sunday. That's eight points ahead of the five year average pace. Livestock at the Merck and live cattle were 40 to 85 cents lower, $1.15 to $1.50 lower in feeders, but 40 to $1.20 higher in lean hogs. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk more about this E15. Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Brian, thanks for joining us. And I, I'm happy the president made the announcement to get this thing started, but 
I find myself somewhat reserved in my <laughs> in my mood because it it's not a done deal and it's there's still so many hurdles yet to overcome. I mean it's it's a good first step. I wish it would have started sooner, but at least it has started. That's the good news. But we still got a long ways to go on this thing. We sure do, Mike, and and I feel similarly. Um, I know some of my friends were uncorking champagne bottles last night. Um, I had one beer, um, and and that was it. And I know we have to to get up this morning and work really hard because, as you said, as monumental as it is to have the president of the United States say, "I'm instructing EPA to move forward on a rulemaking that, when final, would allow E15 use use year-round." There are so many steps between yesterday and where we eventually need to be. There will be a proposed rule. I'm hopeful that that proposed rule can be out for public comment prior to the election, or at least by mid-November. That would be a really strong show of, of good faith on the part of the administration that they're, they're serious about getting this done soon. There will be a public comment period. That will spill over into early 2019. And our goal is to have a final rule in place prior to June 1st of 2019 so, in fact, we can celebrate. So, in fact, retailers can sell E15 year-round. So that's the time frame we're looking at. Yeah, and given the, the chances of legal action, uh, that might be uh, – that's maybe really an optimistic goal to have it by June 1st. I agree it's an optimistic goal. It is our goal to have that in place, despite the threat of litigation by um, the American Petroleum Institute and others. I have no doubt that they will file a lawsuit. I do have doubt whether they are able to convince a court to um, issue an injunction on the final rule. That is to say, if a final rule is done prior to June 1st and the oil companies sue, I think it would be very difficult for them to get a court to say, we're going to halt the sale of E15 um, during the summer of 2019 while we, while we litigate this. I think um, we've, we've spoken with EPA a lot about the legal options at their disposal to, to do this rulemaking. We know the rule is, frankly, partially written right now, um, and I think we will have a very strong, legally defensible, uh, um, final rule when this is all said and done. Well, that's a good point. It it could go in. The ban could be lifted even while uh, litigation is pending or you know in the process. So yeah, that's that's one way to to get this thing going. I I, I was amazed. Uh, I guess I shouldn't be based on what we've seen in the past. But we knew the American Petroleum Institute would come out against it. But then I see where the uh, the Association of Chain Restaurants came out against it. The National Wildlife Federation saying that uh, this would accelerate the vast damage to our wildlife habitat, drinking water, and air quality caused by current federal biofuels policy. What do you think of, uh, of that opposition? Well, a lot of that um, opposition is is fueled by and, and often funded by oil companies. You know, I, I, I respect um, different industries that want to protect their own turf, but for um, the chain stores to come out and say we're opposed to this when corn and soybean prices are um, bottom of the basement levels in terms of prices 
and consumer food price inflation is at historically low levels. Um, I, I guess they're getting at too much corn being used to make ethanol and not enough food, the old food versus fuel issue. I mean, that's just insane, and it doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Um, and some of these environmental groups that, that sort of behave like they're environmental groups are taking money under the table from oil companies to um, bash renewable fuels, and that's just despicable. And, you know, I guess we've come to expect that over the years. We're not going to be distracted by that. I think we're in a strong position to to eventually get this. Yeah, it was amazing to see some of the old uh, myths, the old uh, inaccurate reports and claims and charges come flying right back that we've dealt with for for many, many years. Uh, So keep going through that now. The other thing that got put out there, somehow this was represented by critics of E15. Uh, Somehow it was represented that this was some sort of mandate, rather than explaining accurately that this is just allowing the option for motorists at the pump. That's precisely right. Um, And there's sort of two levels to that. One, it is simply allowing retailers to have the option, if they so choose, to offer E15 to their customers year-round. That can happen today because we're outside of the low RVP season. But when we get back to June 1st, if a final rule isn't in place, in most parts of the country, retailers would have to pull E15 from their pumps or relabel their pumps. And so many tell us that's a hassle. So this is just a nice common-sense change to give some flexibility to retailers that want to sell this fuel. Number two, you and I, as people who drive automobiles, don't have to fill up on E15 if we don't want to. This is absolutely not a requirement. E15 is not going to replace straight gas in all of the pumps. It's not going to replace um, E10 in all of the pumps. There will still be options there. So if someone just hates ethanol for whatever weird reason they do, and they want to use straight gasoline, uh, they can do that. This is just an option for people who want to try a lower-cost, higher-octane fuel that happens to result in fewer evaporative emissions than, than unleaded and, and E10. Yeah, it gives consumers more choices, which you would think uh, people would be on board with, but uh, there are those that, that oppose that. And the other one that get got out there right away, all oh, this is going to harm our vehicles and our engines, and they kind of overlooked the fact that EPA approved E15 a long time ago for model years 2001 and and forward. So uh, I'd say most of the vehicles on the road today, no problem with E15. Nine out of every ten cars on the road today are approved to use E15. The automakers have gone so far as to actually approve the use of E15 in nearly 80% of the warranties that are out there on on the roads today in cars. And so there is no safety concern whatsoever. And again, if you don't want to use E15, don't. Um, but there are a lot of people that do. And when we finally see this through to the end, that's all this will do is give give people the choice, as you said. Here's a, another question, Brian. Uh, the 
the thing about E15 getting it year-round was that it would send a signal to retailers to go ahead and make the uh, the necessary changes uh, in infrastructure to uh, to have it. I can see the hesitancy. Why put it in if you're going to have to pull it out for the summer months? So we want to send that strong signal to retailers to go ahead and, and make that move. But will they, you think, until there's more certainty, the, the questions we just talked about of when this might actually happen, will that cause them to wait, or do you think this is enough of a signal to go ahead for some of them? I think for some of them this is enough of a signal, and particularly for those unbranded independent retailers, whether it's a big chain of, of retail stores or just two or three stores that the retailer owns. Um, I think this is a signal to, to those folks that have been on the sidelines that this is, E15 year-round is going to be a reality sooner rather than later. Who this will not likely convince are those retailers who are branded and controlled by oil companies through either a supply agreement where an oil company prohibits them from selling E15 or um, some other contract restrictions. And so, you know, one of the things I want to be careful to do is not oversell this. This doesn't mean every retailer everywhere is going to sell E15. It simply doesn't. It's going to give them that opportunity if they think it makes economic sense for them and they're not under some sort of restriction from oil companies. Um, but it's, it's not the only impediment out there, and, and that, that's simply why we have to work every day, like we do, to help retailers understand the, the economics of ethanol, how they can make money selling higher blends, bring new customers in, sell more products inside their stores where they really make money. And we spend a lot of time on that sort of hand-to-hand um, um, combat, if you will, that education, if you will, with, uh, with the retailers. So this was a step, an important step, but just a step in the process. And as I tweeted out yesterday, I hope this process goes quicker than uh, the process we're, under, we're in right now to get the waters of the U.S. rule changed. Hopefully this one will go quicker. Yes, sir. I liked your tweet because I thought that was a common sense way to look at this. This is one important, very important step in the process, but we've got a lot of work to do. And so I would encourage your listeners to thank their members of Congress if they were supportive of this, to certainly thank the administration. But don't celebrate too hard, folks, because this is far from over. Yeah, a lot of work still to do and a long ways to go yet to get this done. Hopefully it will be done by next June 1st, as you said, that, that is the goal. Always good to talk with you, Brian. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much, Mike. Take care. Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about the importance of soil testing. Um, I know a, a lot of you listening are still trying to get the harvesting done. Some of you are done and are close to it. But uh, whenever that time is when you're done and the and weather allows, there are a lot of uh, uh, there's a lot of value in soil testing looking ahead to next year. We're going to talk about that coming up next with the University of Missouri Extension Field Crops Pathologist. Stay with us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.
Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. It's not just storing grain. It's storing quality. At FS, quality isn't just a promise. It's a statement. Our grain systems experts stay focused on what's ahead by providing state-of-the-art grain systems that protect grain quality in the bin, along with larger capacity bins that keep us moving forward. We're always looking for ways to optimize operations and ensure our customers are ready for what's next. So visit FSSystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit? low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. 
powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem, seek answers. When there is doubt, give hope. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, it's an ongoing battle, and one uh, we talked about this during the Farm Progress Show, that uh, the battle against soybean cyst nematode, uh, we've come a long ways and kind of thought maybe we were getting that under control, but yet we're seeing still some uh, issues, loss of yield, loss of profit uh, because of soybean cyst nematode. And uh, so there are things that can be done this fall looking ahead to next year. We want to talk about that with Caitlin Bissonette, University of Missouri Extension Field Crops Pathologist. Caitlin, thank you for joining us. We know uh, farmers are in various stages of harvest, some done, some close to done, some are just uh, kind of waiting to really get going because of a, a lot of wet weather right now. But uh, whenever they get done, if they have a chance, uh, they can take some important steps this fall to protect them next year, right? That is right. Uh, so some of the steps to take this fall in regards to soybean cyst nematode would be to take soil samples. This has been a particularly tough year, especially in Missouri. With it being so dry, we might have some higher levels of SCN than we have in years past. Yeah, yeah, your state of Missouri, uh, wow, one extreme to another. You had the drought this summer, and now you're getting uh, heavy rains and a lot of flooding in parts of the state. Yeah, we've actually had several inches, and it's delayed harvest in some areas. So it's going to be a little bit of a tough fall, but it is the perfect time to soil sample for SCN, uh, digging up those areas and, and taking in when you do your fertility test bringing in samples to, to the plant clinics around. Uh, depending on what state you're in, I understand some states provide free soil samples. Others, it's, uh, it, there's, a, there's a cost, but it's not real high. Correct. So Missouri is one of the states where there is not free soil sampling, but samples can be brought into the SCN Diagnostic Clinic for about $25 per sample, and that would be looking at a subset from fields about 10 to 20 acres so uh, it's a very low cost uh, in consideration with how large the sample the sample size can be Um, there are some states like uh, wisconsin that do provide free soil sampling Um, i'm not sure what the list of other states are but you can definitely look through your soybean boards or contact the scn clinics that are available in your state so whether we're looking at fields where soybeans were grown this year or uh, fields that were corn this year but will be soybeans next year in the rotation, uh, that sampling is very important. 
that sampling is critical, especially in those fields that might be going into soybean next year. Knowing what your level, your egg counts are this fall is going to be critical in how you actually will manage it this following year. What do the what farmers need to keep in mind in doing those soil tests? So when doing the soil tests, uh, each state has a little bit different of a threshold as to how severe of an infestation you might have. But the key thing to keep in, in mind is if you have never done an SCN test in your field before, uh, make sure that you are testing along areas where uh, where SCN might come into a field, such as entryways, in low-yielding areas, areas with high pH, any areas that have flooded, which a lot of fields this year might have seen quite a bit of flooding, so those would be good areas to test. Uh, If you do have recorded history of SCN, actually testing those similar areas, especially the ones that are lower-yielding, to see if those egg counts have increased would would be a key. Some of those fields where yields are lower, maybe a farmer thinks it's something other than SCN. The, the, the soil testing would help determine, you know, if that is the problem or not. That, that is true. So some of the lower yielding areas, a lot, um, a lot can be attributed uh, in, at times to nutrient stresses or other diseases. But something to keep in mind is, Without symptoms, SCN can cause up to 30% yield loss. So you may have that, that lower yield in some of those areas without actually seeing any symptoms of the disease. So soil testing this fall is the first step. Then what's the next step if they find they have that, uh, if they have that problem? So the next step after soil testing and seeing what your numbers are uh, would be to select resistant varieties if the, first of all, if you have any SCN, selecting resistant varieties is going to be that first line of defense. There are also cases where considering a nematode protectant seed treatment could be beneficial, uh, especially in areas where you might also have other diseases like sudden death syndrome. Um, there are There are cases where selecting a seed treatment to control sudden death syndrome could help with SCN. Caitlin, uh, as you know, there are some tremendous soybean yields this year, uh, just some mm-hmm. record <laughs> soybean yields. Uh, I'm wondering if then some farmers might think, well, then maybe I don't have to worry about it. I mean, yields were so good that, uh, you know, SCN evidently either wasn't a problem or wasn't a big enough one to make that much of a difference. Uh, I would think that would uh, they have to guard against thinking like that because it could lead to bigger problems, say, next year. Yes. So just because it wasn't a problem this year doesn't mean it's not going to be a problem next year or the year after. These populations build in the soil over time, so you may not see the immediate impacts on a year-by-year basis, but over time you're gradually losing that yield and you're gradually decreasing that return on investment. So it may seem like, you know, maybe something they don't want to do or don't want to take the time to do or whatever, but it will pay off in the long run, a good chance of that, uh, uh, to have that soil testing done this fall, right? That's true. It's forward thinking. You can't just live today. you got to have to, you have to live that five years out. What's it going to look like on my farm in five years? 
All right, Caitlin, thanks for the uh, the reminder, and uh, hopefully that uh, many farmers will have the opportunity to get out there and get that soil testing done this fall. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. All right, Caitlin Bissonette, University of Missouri Extension Field Crops Pathologist. Again, that soil testing in the fall can uh, help protect you against soybean cyst nematode next year and into the future all right that wraps it up for today thank you for joining us tomorrow we'll get more reaction and analysis to the uh the e15 uh, announcement keep you up to date on farm bill and trade and a lot of these other issues going on as well a uh, busy time indeed and also we'll take a look at the harvest which is in some areas uh done but in other areas on hold with the wet weather we'll be talking about that as well hope you'll join us right here on aoa adams on agriculture Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that has sat in your lap in months and even more stuff but still no jobs well you really have both see stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group sometimes this stuff is no longer needed wait no longer needed that can't be right because remember those jobs you were looking for those are really needed and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to phoenix our job is to unlock those jobs and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local goodwill here's how we do it When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council.